Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network for this first weekend in October. Hard to believe we've only got three full months left of the year. I'm Dustin Hoffman. Russ Park will be joining us here in just a few moments. And we'll also have Mark Magnuson and Riley Smith joining us to round out today's program. Harvest is underway here in Iowa. Hopefully everybody is being safe and being responsible and keeping aware of their surroundings, both the farmers and also the motorists out there that may come upon a tractor and a large implement or a combine as well. Give them a few moments. Give them some space. They can't stop on a dime, and they don't move very fast, so please be aware. Share the road for both parties involved out there, and we'll get through this with minimal to no damage, which would be very nice, I think, for all of us. Let's go ahead and run down some of those news headlines for you. Earlier this month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture released its 2022 farm sector income forecast, which showed a mixed bag for the farm economy. USDA's Economic Research Service predicts that producers' cash receipts will increase 21% to more than $525 billion nationally. Crop values are expected to increase 9% year over year. Despite elevated commodity prices, farmers are not expected to report record paychecks, with farm income off roughly 30%. University of Idaho economist Garth Taylor said the drop in income is thanks to a host of domestic and international issues, from drought to input costs to war in Ukraine and a variety of other challenges. But despite all those headwinds, farmers were very close to uh, a high on their cash receipts. They can overcome those things with higher prices, but inflation is what's nailing farmers. It did it in the 80s, and it's threatening farms now. And this is that bottom line is something we've really got to watch. When it comes to eating away at the bottom line, Taylor noted that fertilizer prices are up a projected 52% this year. Fuel is up 42% and interest payments jumped 40%. Taylor said another factor pushing farm income lower is the reduction, or in many cases the removal, of government payments that farmers saw during the COVID pandemic. We'll be back to that. We're depending upon uh, farmers, uh, the revenues that farmers can generate from cash receipts. It's, uh, it's gonna, that component... It's going to be largely gone from Idaho, and it's going to be largely gone from the United uh, U.S. farmers. Of course, the farm economy and volatility in the marketplace was a topic also in Kansas City uh, during the Agricultural Outlook Forum. Nate Kaufman is vice president and Omaha bank executive for the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, and he spoke at the forum and talked about how that right now farm incomes are in pretty decent shape. Economic conditions in agriculture are remarkably strong. And I want to start here because this is not something that I would have said probably two and a half years ago. And I think it is an important place to start just because of how significantly different conditions are today relative to what we might have said back then. Incomes are incredibly high. We've seen commodity prices pick up. Yes, there are very high input costs that are leading to some concerns. But generally speaking, economic conditions in agriculture, with some caveats, are quite strong. Kaufman cited the current rate of land values as a testament to this evaluation. 
Land values, for example, are about 25 to 30% higher than what we might have seen before the pandemic. That was a time that land values had been declining. The first couple months of the pandemic, it was maybe thought that we would see further declines, but here we are a couple of years later and seeing that, in fact, conditions are much stronger. Prior to the pandemic, we worried about gradual increases in loan defaults. We looked at bankruptcy rates. We looked at other things that we thought there was going to be more financial stress and not less going forward. And the reality is that loan delinquencies are at one of their all-time lows. Working capital levels are very high. Producers are generally in a strong position. And so we're seeing, again, from a financial picture, things are rather strong there, too. But even though the market prices are good and land values are high, obviously input prices are going to cause problems. Just look at fertilizer, seed, and equipment on top of fuel and other inputs as well. 6% growth in 2021. In 2022, that number is expected to be less than 1%. And there are concerns about economic growth in 2023. The second one is inflationary pressure. For those 10 years that we spent in the longest economic expansion on record after the financial crisis, inflation was generally less than 2%. And the Federal Reserve, as many of you may know, has a goal for inflation at 2%. We're at 8%. That's higher than 2 There are concerns about what inflationary pressures might do with respect to some of the costs that have been mentioned. Another factor that's affecting everybody, as we said earlier, is also the rise in interest rates. The last one that I'll mention then is interest rates. At the end of 2020, if you were to look at some of the projections that Federal Reserve officials would have suggested would be appropriate interest rate policy for 2022, many would have indicated that rates were likely to still be approximately zero by the end of this year. Instead, we're in a different environment, and this is in large part because of inflation, where we're now seeing interest rates closer to 4 to 4.5% by the end of this year. It'll be a good idea for farmers in every operation to talk with their financial, crop, and insurance advisors to figure out what the best options are for them to make a good profit in 2023. Also, the deadline to submit comments on the EPA's atrazine proposal is next Friday. That would be October the 6th. The National Corn Growers Association is encouraging growers to join its call to action and submit comments to the EPA on the important role atrazine plays in their work. The call to action was launched over the summer as EPA began revising its registration for atrazine. EPA is proposing a level of concern for atrazine at 3.4 parts per billion, down from the current level of 15 parts per billion. The move would significantly impair the effective use of atrazine on farms, according to the NCGA. NCGA Vice President of Public Policy Brooke Appleton says reducing the effectiveness of the important herbicide will hinder the work of farmers and turn the clock back on our conservation efforts. Since the organization launched the call to action on July 30th, more than 3,000 growers have commented. EPA's open comment period closes October 7th, that's next Friday, and you can submit those comments via ncga.com. And that's been a rundown of some of the headlines we followed this week. You can find all of them up on our website at iowaagnet.com. You can find also replays of our Weekend Ag Matters program, all of our marketing podcasts, and also replays of Ag Matters PM all on that website. Again, iowaagnet.com. And you can also follow us on our YouTube channel where you can subscribe and get that bell icon and get notified for each video. In fact, coming up there, we just put in some of the Iowa governor campaign videos where we asked some ag questions to some of the candidates. Now, let's kick things over to Russ Parker. Earlier this week, I received an email from the Iowa DNR telling me that this weekend marks the beginning of the Iowa duck season in the north zone of the state. When I was a younger man, my calendar was planned around the dates of the duck season. And while I'm not as spry and nimble these days and not able to tolerate the cold temperatures like I used to be able to, 
I still relish the season, but maybe in a different way, and I have so many good memories. One I'd like to share with you and hope that you're in the mood for a short story. Our hunting spot was on the west end of Lake Rathbun, in an area that is no longer public hunting because of some refuge boundary changes. The afternoon before the season started, we were scouting for ducks. The water was high that year, and we pulled into a parking area and started glassing. And then we saw them, hundreds of mallards, pouring into an area at the far end of the marsh, about three-quarters of a mile away. After some investigation and lots of walking, we figured out how to get access into that spot, and we laid out our plans that evening. One of the tactics was to get up early so we'd be the first ones to the spot since the area was open to public hunting, and we were sure others had seen those ducks too. So that morning found us up bright and early. We got to the parking spot, put on our waders, gathered up our decoys and shotguns, and started the long walk with the aid of a flashlight as the skies were overcast. We were almost to the spot, and we heard a dog start barking, and the dog was close, and in a few yards, we discovered he was inside of a tent that had been set up within 100 yards of our spot. You can imagine how startled the hunter was inside that tent to hear us walk by in the very early morning hours, and I'm sure he was sorely disappointed that we had probably ruined his morning hunt. You know, I have thought about that experience, particularly when I'm reading verses in the Bible about being vigilant, quote-unquote, awake and sober, on the lookout for Christ's return. I'd invite you to be ready with me. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that puts the wraps on segment one here of this edition of Weekend Ag Matters. When we come back after the break, Mark Magnuson will be joining us. We'll be right back on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Every detail matters when building a winning game plan. That's why the Cyclones and Hawkeyes rely on better, cleaner now biodiesel to power their team buses on game days, delivering success on the field, in the field, and in the environment. Make biodiesel part of your game plan by visiting IASoybeans.com. Biodiesel. Request it. Grow it. Use it. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm joined now by Keith Kutzbach, and we are here in Atkinson, Illinois, and we are at the Wiffles Hybrid Seed Production Plant. Keith, could you just tell us a little bit about this entire space, where we are today, and what it goes and what goes into um, the production of the seed for Wiffles Hybrids? You bet. Wiffles Hybrids, uh, uh, we uh, have grown a lot in the last uh, probably... 10 years. We used to do about 300,000 units uh, 2011, 2012. Now we're over a million units going through here. So we had a great expansion here the last uh, probably four or five years. Uh, we spent uh, basically over $100 million here. So uh, what you're seeing here is probably the latest technology when it comes to uh, seed corn production. So uh, 
like I told you there before, as we went through the plant, a lot of that equipment was built specifically for Wiffles hybrids. Uh, it was built by a German company. Uh, we are just, uh, like I say, just very proud to uh, have to see the growth that we've had the last uh, 10 years, uh, especially in our area. We basically cover uh, Minnesota, or uh, sorry about that. We basically cover Illinois, Iowa. We get into a little bit in southern Minnesota, a little bit into southeast uh, South Dakota. So uh, in those Iowa and Illinois, we're actually the third largest seacorn company right now. So Keith, a lot of new buildings here on the site. We walk through all of them and it's just a very extensive setup. What's driving all of that expansion right now for Wiffles Hybrids? What's driving it is uh, we have a tremendous sales force. And uh, they took us, like I say, from 300,000 units in about 2011, 2012 to uh, this year uh, we'll probably ship out of here 1.3 million. So it's, uh, we just have a tremendous sales force. They, uh, Bell and Bob, you know, started back in, uh, like I say, 2010, 12 in that area there. Uh, they made the decision to uh, uh, hire great people, uh, increase their sales force, and it's really paid off. Today we learned a little bit about the producers that create that seed that then goes out to the farmers that grow the corn. Um, that initial seed that goes into the ground and then the plants that are grown taken very good care of. And, and is that by design from the Wiffles brand to say that they want to have the best possible seed to provide to the farmers? Definitely. We, we, one thing that Wiffles is known for th through the years is quality. And seed quality is number one here. I guess we always put it this way. This is the only chance we have to get on a grower's farm and the only chance to stay there. So we have to do things a little bit different and a little bit better than anybody else. And when it comes to seed quality, that's one of them. So what we're looking for when we look for growers, too, is we're looking for excellent farmers. We're looking for the, some of the best ground to grow on. Uh, all the way through, we just, uh, right from the time we plant it till we put it in a bag or a box, we seed quality is at the top. That's what we want to focus on. Whenever I talk to someone that does work for Wiffles, it takes about, 30 seconds, I'd say, before they mention that it's a family-owned operation. So why do you think Wiffle's employees like to mention that as often as they do? I think it's basically, I just feel that uh, uh, it is family-owned. It's farm family-owned. You know, it's third generation. Uh, Bill and Bob's parents started it in 1946, and now you got Jacob, John, and Blake, you know, have come into the operation. Uh, Bill and Bob basically have retired, stepped back. They're still involved in it. But I think it's because... I think it's just the, the whole family thing is also goes right through to all the employees, too. They all feel like they're part of that family. So it's just one big family. I mean, Jay, you heard him. Uh, I, I didn't hear him say it today, but yesterday on a tour, somebody asked him something like that. And he's been with them 44 years. He, he, somebody asked him, why does he still stay here? And he said, it's just a way of life for me. He said, it's, it's my family. Do you think that extends then to growers and farmers? And do they feel like? I'd rather do business maybe with a smaller family-run operation because, like you mentioned, they're maybe going to focus on quality a little bit more than a company that is just so massive as some of the competitors. I think that's a real sales tool for us. You know, and I, I see that uh, actually when I was out in the country uh, selling for them, that I actually used it as a sales tool, that it's family-owned, family-operated, and, you know, 
I, I think you heard me say at the beginning of the tour, you know, every decision that's made here by the Wiffles family is with the customer in mind. I mean, if they don't have customers, they're not going to have a company. So every decision they make is with that in mind. And it's definitely, I think that's where, uh, where our growth is coming from. I think today, you know, everybody's tired of the big corporate uh, companies out there and I think they're looking to work with the smaller companies and and it, the thing of it is is too you know we have great people out there in the field and I think that's helped sell us too they want to deal with neighbors and stuff like that rather than go to a retail where hey maybe they're selling four or five different brands you know here this is the only thing we're selling is corn so every one of our seed reps they're they're familiar with it they know the product and and they're going to be out there walking those fields with the growers too here today we also learned that the seed production plant the farms that grow that corn to bring here they are spread out in a, over a wide area and could you explain why that is again okay yeah we're in three different growing areas uh, uh we have three different areas here in, in, in illinois and, and basically we're uh, probably about an hour north of here, and then we got another area that's probably about an hour and 15, 20 minutes, and then we got another area that's about two hours uh, south of here. The main reason for that is weather event. You know, if we had a weather event, and if we grew it all in one place and we had a major weather event, it could really put a hurt on the company. So now what happens is we got three different areas we can grow in, and even like when we're harvesting, say we get rain uh, down south of Peoria, we can move up into the Dixon area and then keep harvesting today. We never, once we start harvesting, we have about a seven to eight week window in there. Uh, one thing with seed corn is it cannot take any frost at all. So we start usually about the last days in August and we want to be done that first and second week in October. So that's what's nice about having three different growing areas again. We can, you know, uh, keep harvesting all the way through. Once we stop, start, we don't want to stop. Something that really opened my eyes today was the extreme care to the quality side of taking care of that seed and all the testing that goes into it, actually growing some of those, a little bit of that seed from each and every group, it seemed like. Why is that so important? That, to me, that's probably the most important. I always tell everybody, to me, that uh, going through the quality lab is probably the most important part of the whole tour because we are known for quality. And we do things a little bit different in there, a little bit uh, that other companies don't do. And uh, it's just one of those things that we have to do a little bit better because this is all we have to offer. And we have an excellent group of people working in there. And Keith, do you think people, when they come on this tour, do you think they realize going in how much care goes into creating, I guess, that bag of seed for a farmer? You know, that's funny you ask because that's a lot of times the comments I'll get when we finish is uh, from different growers through the years. I've always had the comment, wow, I didn't realize there was that much involved in, in uh, uh, getting a, a bag of seed or a box of seed. So I, like I tell my say, uh, DSMs and my seed reps, this is a real sales tool for them. I mean, just get people to come in here. It really opens. I just, matter of fact, I was sitting there eating today and, and, uh, the gentleman I was eating with said this is the first time he had ever went through a plant and didn't realize what was all involved. All right, Keith, is there anything else you'd like to let our viewers know about when it comes to this seed production plan and this side of things from Wiffles? I would just like to say, hey, thank you to all of you out there that are planting Wiffles. And if you're not, give us a try because uh, we're family owned, family op uh, operated. And uh, you can see that I enjoy doing this. I mean, basically, you're probably not going to find anybody here at the plant that's not going to say something good about Wiffles. So, nope, that's uh, just give us a try. 
He's Keith Kutzbach with Wiffles Hybrids. Keith, thanks so much for the time, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, and uh, we appreciate you coming and, and visiting us. Come back again. That was Keith Kutzbach of Wiffles Hybrids. That's it for segment two of this week's show. Up next, Riley Smith will wrap up as he talks with Paul Kaufman of Merck Animal Health. This is Weekend Ag Matters. October is Pork Month, and in Iowa, we have no shortage of pork producers to celebrate. In all, there are 147,105 Iowa jobs created by the pork industry through direct, indirect, and induced jobs, and those jobs in turn create $8.64 billion in labor income. Make sure you support one of Iowa's most important industries by enjoying some farm-raised Iowa pork this month. This message is brought to you by your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, we're down here in Texas at the Merck Animal Health Beef Media event, and I'm talking here with Paul Kaufman. He's North American Lead Livestock Intelligence with Merck Animal Health. Uh, First off, Paul, can you just tell us a bit about this event and just how great it is to kind of have this open dialogue with the media? Absolutely, Riley. So this is a, a first of an event of this kind for us at Merck Animal Health. Saw a great opportunity with, to highlight a lot of those different things that we're doing, really have that open dialogue with the media, talk about our technology, talk about our products, and talk about different things emerging in the industry, sustainability and caring for the animals and also getting out on farm and seeing some of the technology in action. Right, of course, and we, ju- we know just how important that dialogue is to not only have the media know about what's going on, but then turn around the media tells the people what's going on you know we've got more and more you see families that are three four five generations removed from the farm and they just don't know about the stuff that we do and and having a dialogue like this to show that we really are making a difference we are embracing changes uh, it's just an important thing to do yeah we've got such a great story as agriculture in the united states to share and we're just proud as merck animal health to be a part of that and have you all here and see what we can see what we can share with you all right, and of course, let's dive in a little bit on those sustainability efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, first off, there was just a ton of information that went on from some of this event. So let's just talk about some of the, the basic efforts we've seen. You know, we've seen vaccination early. We've seen just general sustainability. Right. You know, it's it's so much of it's about keeping that animal healthy. And we as Merck Animal Health, what we do from a vaccination standpoint, working with the producers, working with their veterinary partners, uh, good nutrition obviously is a key part of that. Uh, making sure we've got the right tools in the hands of the right people. And a lot of what we talked about today is, and yesterday, as you saw, was really about the technology, the new emerging technology we're bringing, identifying those animals electronically, but then also where, using wearable technology to identify those animals that are getting sick, identify them sooner, be able to intervene sooner, and again, keep them healthy and have that as a more sustainable animal, that healthy animal. Right, we know the the best way to treat an animal is to not have to treat them in the first place. You don't want that illness there. And I think that's maybe a little confusion for some people. They're like, well, what's Merck, a a biopharma company, doing about sustainability and using less antibiotics? I think that was one of the things during uh, one of the conferences that we had. But, I mean, this is just a sign of the ag industry, well, of course we care about the animals and we want the best thing for them. And we want them healthy, right? We are an animal health company. So putting together things like our electronic technology, our livestock intelligence technology, with our biopharmaceuticals, really working with those veterinarians and those producers to have that great outcome, have that healthy outcome, 
And that's why we got into this business, right? That's why we started looking at technology because the world's changing. There's emerging needs that are coming up. We have labor shortages and challenges, and we see a great opportunity to fuse those technologies together and really an outcomes-based solutions approach for the producers and their veterinarians. Right. We heard someone say during the event is you know, one of the biggest wastes of money is to say, well, that's how we've always done it. Right. And we, we just need to show off that we're embracing that change and that there's all of these things available for farmers to use. I mean, they're always looking to expand their toolkit and offset some of the risks they face. And, you know, there's just a bunch of things that from Merck's side seemed very involved still. These aren't just one-off solutions. This is a continued effort uh, just to make things better for those animals. Yeah, we're really looking at a suite of solutions is where we're bringing things. It's it's not just a one product and a one-off, as you just said, Riley. It's really looking at what are those overall tools that we can bring together and how do we listen to the customer and understand what their challenges and their needs are and work together with them to make sure we're providing those right solutions, show them how those tools will help them, show them how they can actually apply those in such a way and have that healthier animal, that better outcome that we keep coming back to. Yep, and you know, what's this sustainability effort looking like for just the foreseeable future? We know there's a lot of involvement with programs and products and even investing in, in the youth in agriculture to make sure that this idea continues to go through. So you know, what's kind of on your guys' uh, well, I don't want to say kind of docket for the future? Yeah, many different things, right? I mean, sustainability means many different things to many folks, and we talked about that at the event. But certainly for us, it's making sure we're making investments in youth as we invest in things like FFA and AFA and areas of that nature. It's making sure that we work with the universities as we do a lot of work and investments in there. But it's also investing in, uh, again, bringing those products, bringing those solutions, and find different ways that we can continue to bring new things to the market and really help those cattle producers tell that great story of what they've been doing for years and years, raising this great wholesome product of beef. All right, Paul, is there anything else about this event and just what Merck's doing in general that our viewers and our listeners should know about? Just really appreciate you coming and, and certainly a chance for us to showcase what we're doing and uh, really hope your viewers have an opportunity to come see, come talk to us and learn a little bit more. And we're, we're happy to share with what we're, uh, what we're bringing to the market. All right, well, it's been an honor for me too to come down here and see this event. I think it went great and I hope you guys have more of these in the future. Very good. Thank you very much. That again was Paul Kaufman, North American lead of Merck Animal Health Intelligence. That's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. And while you're there, feel free to sign up for our newsletter as well to get all of our content conveniently delivered to you every day. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.